Hello and welcome to episode two of this mini-series of housing podcasts in the Strathunion podcast. Uh, I'm Daniel from the comms team, still joined by Jody, one of the advisors from the Advice Hub here. And in this one we're going to touch upon uh, private accommodation. So in the last one was a sort of general intro about like, sourcing accommodation. So some of the stuff we touched upon we may touch upon again here, but that's just to kind of reiterate the, the importance of, of all of this. So um, for this one, if it's specifically aimed at people who have, are looking to rent private accommodation and Jody, I think one of the first things we'll want to look at and we touched upon the last time was sort of landlord checks. So if you could do, just run over that again, the Scottish Landlord Register and the importance of checking that. Sure, so once you see a flat or a property that you like, uh, first of all, go on to the Scottish Landlord Register. So just type that into Google and then you'll uh, get a website and straight away you'll uh, be able to search for the landlord's registration number, um, which often you won't have to hand, but you can also search for the property's postcode. Then the list of addresses will come up and then you can just click on the address of the flat or the property that you're interested in and then it'll come up and let you know whether it is registered or not and the reason why that is really important is because it's much easier to hold landlords to account if they are legally registered um, and also they legally have to do that so if they're not in the landlord register then they are illegally renting a property and um, they can actually get fined up to £50,000 but unfortunately it's been our experience that it doesn't really happen so um, you know it's not uncommon that I'll uh, be advising a student whose landlord isn't registered um, so as I say very first thing to do is just make sure they're on, they're on that register and that's uh, a good sign. So would there be any circumstances in which uh, you, you I'm trying to think of a better way to word this so if you were looking at a property and a landlord wasn't registered, what would the, the advice at that point be? Would that be just to move on to search for another accommodation, as simple as that? Yeah, I would definitely advise that. Um, the reason being is that I think it, that's, if you've not even you know contacted them yet, you've not even viewed the property, then it's just not really a good sign. Um, they're supposed to be registered, so at least if they're, if they're registered it doesn't mean they're going to be a great landlord you still have a lot of problems but if that's the very first impression you're getting of a property I would advise you know moving on um, I think the only thing I should clarify is that um, I'm talking about private when we're talking about private accommodation we're talking about just now um, like private lets where the landlord owns it and they're not living in the property because that's a sublet that's a little bit different but if you're looking to rent a property from a landlord and the landlord is not living in the property then um then it, it should be registered and i think sublets should be registered in the same way but this is just for clarity moving forwards because um this podcast is kind of talking about that type of private accommodation as opposed to a sublet yeah okay and then so we've touched upon that so if you've rented privately in scotland and uh, sorry i'm going to move on to the private residential tenancy agreement jody so what is what is the importance of that firstly what is it and secondly what is the sort of significance of it yep so that's just why i wanted to clarify uh, that we're talking about private lets where a landlord owns the property so in scotland if a landlord owns a property and they are looking to rent it out then um 
this is called a private residential tenancy and um, a private residential tenancy agreement is statutory law and there is no other tenancy agreement in Scotland. So as long as you are renting a property from a landlord and they don't live in the property, it is a private residential tenancy. And because it's statutory law, then this means that if your landlord were to give you a written contract today um, and they said, for example, you have to move out in two months or they said um, that they would keep your deposit and not put it in a, a safety deposit scheme, then it doesn't really matter. It, it's going to be overridden by a private residential tenancy. Um, so the reason why this is really important is because a lot of landlords will do things like say, you have to move out in two months. This is when this ends. Or they'll, they'll, tell, they'll not tell you that your deposit has to be um, in a safety deposit scheme. And actually, this is going to be superseded by statutory law, but they do it to mislead people. So it's always really important to be aware that there is only one type of tenancy agreement for private lets in Scotland, if the landlord doesn't live with you, and it is a private residential tenancy. And um, you can actually find these online. There's so much information on private residential tenancies. Um, if you just search it, there's a lot of information on the Scottish Government website. And there's even a template that landlords can literally just put the date in and put the address in and give them to tenants. And again, the reason why they're so important is because it just shows that your landlord is not trying to mislead you. It shows that your landlord is showing you exactly what your rights are. And it also means that you have an understanding of your responsibilities as a tenant as well. Um, if you got into the situation which which can happen as well if there's an unwritten agreement. So if you were to to move into a property and start paying rent, um, but you didn't have a written tenancy, then as long as you can prove as well that you're living in that property and you're paying rent, again, you'll be protected by the rights in a private residential tenancy. It's just more difficult to prove at that point. Um, so that's a little bit of the background. Um, and uh, as I said, have a look you know what a private residential tenancy agreement looks like and um and the kind of rights in it so for example i was saying about if a landlord tells you you have to leave in 20 days or leave in two months or whatever a private residential tenancy agreement actually says that it's open-ended unless a landlord has a grounds to evict you um it allows you to provide 28 days notice there's a lot of rights like that within it um, so I would always advise to familiarise yourself with it and just make sure that you're not being given a written contract that contradicts it. Um, just because even though you're protected by, the, even though you're still protected, it just kind of shows that you're, you're maybe not wanting to, to move into a property with that kind of landlord. Um, it, again, it's a bit of a red flag. Yeah. Am, I, am I right in saying that it's six months notice for a tenant now for a landlord that has to give notice to leave as well? So it completely depends on the grounds. So if a landlord is moving back into the property because they want to live in it, um, the, the period of notice would be different, for example, than if the landlord had taken the tenant to tribunal and they were found to 
be acting anti like there's antisocial behaviour kind of stuff. So um the the eviction notice period is actually completely dependent on on the grounds for eviction. But I think the key thing is that a landlord cannot give you a date to move out the property without a proper ground for eviction, without a notice to leave as well. And again, if you're being asked to leave your property, get in touch with us because a lot of the time it would actually come under being a, a legal eviction. I mean, out of all the times I've I've um, worked with students who have been asked to leave the property, I think I've had one who's actually been asked to leave properly with a, a grounds for eviction. So um, again, that's why, and all of this again is outlined in a private residential tenancy. So. Um, familiarising yourself with that and your rights is, is really important so from the beginning you know exactly what to expect Yeah, and I think we, we kind of touched upon it in the intro podcast but just in case anyone's kind of skipped over and come straight to this one um, if you can remind us again about deposits and how much you should and legally you are allowed to pay up front in case anyone asks for a wee bit extra on top of that Yeah, sure um, so in terms of uh, a deposit um, again, this in the kind of the the model agreements when the um in the template for a, a private residential tenancy it will have information on the safety deposit scheme that your deposit should be put in so basically when you first pay your landlord a deposit it needs to legally go into a safety deposit scheme there are three in scotland and um this is like a third party mediator so what would happen um, if you were to ask for your deposit back when you were leaving and the landlord said that you'd broken something or um, or they needed to do some kind of cleaning or you know whatever um, it just means that there's a, a third party who can um, who can help and, and provide a, an unbiased opinion on how much of the deposit should be returned to you and how much the landlord should take. Um, in terms of rent advance, um, a landlord can only ask in Scotland up to six months rent advance. Um, it is a lot of money, eh? <laughs> but um, but it is their legal right to ask for six months rent advance. However, if you pay the six months rent advance, for example, um, and you then want to leave, um, as a tenant, you have the right to provide 28 days notice and then the landlord is then required to refund you any additional money that you've given them. So even if you pay rent in advance, you still have the right to provide 28 days notice. Um, yeah, and again, just to clarify, this is in private accommodation where the landlord does not live in the property because this does differ. Um, so uh, I just want to be clear on that. That's fine. <laughs> um, I suppose just on a, one, a, one final point then would be so we kind of talked about in the last one about how uh, we obviously need to make sure a landlord's registered. When people, or if a time comes where people are starting to maybe get a little bit desperate to seek accommodation um, and they, they think that they have no choice but to go down this path, what would what would you say? Would you still try and recommend people would use an Airbnb or a hotel and seek advice from either the union or shelter or one of the other supports out there? before they commit to a landlord like this? Yeah, I mean, it's what we would always advise. As I said, just because a landlord is registered, it doesn't mean they're going to be a good landlord. Um, but 
if if you were to get say a few months down the line and you'd been treated really poorly um you know you're getting asked for money you're being harassed it is a lot more difficult to hold a landlord to account um, and one of the big reasons it's quite a basic reason is because a lot of the time if a landlord is not on the register you don't have a contact address for them so if you're to then take legal action which again like that's part of my job so i can i represent students at housing tribunals which is like the legal um body for um for housing in scotland so it doesn't go to it's like a sheriff court but for for landlords if you don't have an address for a landlord they can't serve the notice to take them um, to the tribunal, so it can become really complicated. Um, in those kind of cases, um, they might request that you you do a tracing report to try and hunt the landlord down, um, which are really expensive. So it just makes it far more difficult. Whereas, if you have the landlord on the register from the start, and there's the the email address there, and the um, and the, their actual address as well, um, then it just means that you can provide them on any legal action you're looking to take um, and that they can be served properly as well. And, and generally it just shows that they've paid, because they have to pay to be on the landlord register as well, it just shows that they're, you know, it, it's, it's a good indicator yeah. that, that they're going to be legitimate. Um, you know, and as I say, there's no guarantees, but it just means further down the line, it's just always putting things in place now, um, so, so you don't, you know, end up in a sticky situation later. And you know, I do also take on board what you were saying about temporary accommodation. Um, it's not ideal, you know, students, you know, coming to study and not having anywhere permanent to stay. Um, and. Uh, I'm hoping that now there, there's more kind of movement from Glasgow now that lockdown restrictions have basically, you know, completely eased, um, that there will be more properties available. But, you know, if you were to stay in an Airbnb and that were to cost more money than anticipated and you're struggling to pay for other essential living costs, then, you know, we can also advise different university funds you might be able to apply for as well. Um, you know, you're just you're usually better off to do that than you are to, you know, you're essentially renting from anybody. If they're not registered, it could be anybody. You, you don't really know who your landlord is. Um, so we would just advise against it. Yeah, fair enough. And then just kind of finally then on the, the topic of subletting that we talked about a couple of times. So that's uh, the case of where you're staying in accommodation with the landlord. Um, is that a common occurrence? And if so, is there any kind of tips or do's and don'ts for that also? So subletting can be, it's, it's a little bit complicated. So it can be that you're living, well, so if you're living with a landlord, that's like a residential landlord. Now, if you're living with a with a, a residential landlord, it can become quite complicated in terms of ownership. So it's a different type. It's usually a common law contract, which we'll talk to talk a little bit about in uh, student accommodation because that's also a, a, a common law contract. Um, but it can be quite difficult to to prove um, again, like tenancy rights. It's more difficult than a private residential tenancy. It's not something that's very common. I've not experienced it. Um, but if you've got a residential landlord, um, there's it completely varies. Really, it depends how much ownership you have. Like whether you have like your own like um, living room, if you've got your own bedroom, and um, it 
it kind of varies depending on I think the landlord basically write a contract and you don't have the same rights so there's not like a blanket you can give 28 days notice to leave it's hard it's easier for the landlord to evict you in terms of a um, sublet what that is that's when a landlord owns a property and their tenant they allow their tenant to then be a landlord for another tenant Again, it comes down to a common law contract. And when I say a common law contract, sorry, I should explain. A common law contract means that there's not really like statutory law. So for example, if you're in a private, if you're in a private accommodation um, and your landlord's not living with you, um, your landlord can write anything down. It doesn't really matter what they say. They can only enhance statutory law. Like, so if a landlord says you need to do this, but a private residential tenancy says something different, that'll always supersede it. In a sub-tenancy, in a sublet, um, a common law contract is like a phone contract. They can write stuff and it kind of goes. There's not really, you've got basic rights, but you don't have as many rights as you do in a private residential tenancy. So that's the kind of key differences. Again, it doesn't, it's not really something I, I come across very often. Usually it's a landlord, and just tenants. Um, if there's a few tenants that's still a private residential tenancy, it's just if one of the tenants has been given permission by the landlord to then sublet. So then basically they'll manage the, the other tenants in the property. So a bit complicated. I hope that answers the question. No, no, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that'll do us for, for this one. Thank you very much, Jody. I think what I'll touch upon again is the same to finish every episode is that the advice over here obviously in the union for support but there's also shelter scotland out there as well so we're hoping that from these little episodes we can kind of know that people can approach these outlets if they're facing any problems before they actually happen so please know that they're on hand and you can kind of check out staff union website for the advice hub section there also so thank you very much jody thank you